Key Aero, your aviation destination. Historic Aviation. Hello and welcome to the Fly Pass podcast. I'm Hans from Kiero, joined again this week by Tara Leggett, Assistant Editor for Historic Aviation on Kiero. Hello, Tara. Hello, Hans. Back back after a little bit of an absence yes. uh, where you uh, lost your voice. <laughs> I did. I completely lost my voice. Other than that, I was completely fine. I just not, yeah, couldn't d- speak. D- not not great for the uh for the podcast format it must be said no no not really but oh well and joined this week by david duker from the tally ho project hello david good morning how are we all doing yeah good good welcome to the uh fly past podcast good to have you yeah. on yeah thank you good to be here yeah how's um how's lockdown for you Yes, lockdowns are challenging. Uh, lots of homeschooling. Um, yesterday I was a French teacher. This morning maths. Um, so yeah, lockdowns fine. We're um, we're enjoying spending the time together, and we're just getting through it together. So yeah, we're okay. We're okay. Well, it's interesting you mentioned um, ho- homeschooling, David. So um, it ties in a little bit with the um, w- w- schooling with the Tally Ho project, doesn't it? Tell us a little bit more um, uh, about the project. Yeah, so um, the, the Tally Ho project was um, a project we started um, officially two or three years ago now. And we go into primary and secondary schools and we talk about the Second World War generation, in particular the Battle of Britain generation. And we really want to use their example and their experiences as a way of starting conversation with children about these values that they hold dear. So values such as duty and unity, courage and resilience that can be seen so many times over um, throughout the challenges of the Second World War, but are also really relevant to today, especially what's going on at the moment, but in everyday life. So we talk about these incredible characters that we've been privileged to meet as a means of opening up that conversation of, okay, well, we've talked about duty and we've looked at their story. What's yours? How does duty look in your life? So it's really learning from the past and inspiring the present to go on and, you know, rise to their own challenges and contribute to a, to a better world, really. Um, yeah, it's been really fun. It's been really re- rewarding work. So, so, so what sort of sparked your interest uh, in historic aviation enough to, you know, essentially, you know, start, start a, you know, your own kind of, you know, company out of? Uh, well, it's, it's been a passion throughout my whole life. Um, so as a child, I would, I converted my desk to a Spitfire cockpit. And I would go down and I would take the Battle of Britain um, film off the TV, bring it up to my bedroom, press play, and just for hours lose myself under my desk, feeling like that's where I was. Um, Again, both my granddads served. They were both soldiers. So I was really lucky again to my bedtime stories as a kid were my granddad sitting at the end of my bed, just chatting openly and honestly about these incredible tales that he went through. He was a soldier um, in Africa. So for against Rommel. Um, and it's just always been there, really. Um, always been passionate about aviation. I was the child, which I'm sure you were, I'm sure Tara was as well, which went around to many air shows as a kid. So I had my whole childhood was going from one air show to the next. Didn't you and say that your dad collected double-decker buses and you used to watch the air shows from the top deck? Yes. So my dad, Fair. yeah, he does. He collects <laughs> double-decker buses at, at his zenith. He had 15, believe it or not. Um, oh, and he God. used to, because they're a bit of an icon um, themselves, we used to get privileged parking. So we would park the buses re- right next to the strip. And so we would go to the top deck and just watch. And this was the 80s and early 90s. So air shows were a lot more liberal than they are now. So 
yeah, we were so privileged just to see incredible aircraft like the Vulcan really doing its thing and the Red Arrows and Spitz and Hurricanes. So, um, yeah, it's just always been in my blood. Um, but it really, really took off. Uh, 2010, I saw an advert in the newspaper um, completely by chance, and it was for the 70th anniversary. And there was a British Airways flight, and I think they had 20 veterans going up in it, and they had a Spitfire on one wing and a Hurricane format on the other. And there was a couple of places left, and they were up for sale. And uh, I, uh, I just had to do some soul searching. I had a young family at the time, so money was tight. So I sort of spoke to the Royal Bank of Dad and got um, the money I needed. <laughs> you sold one <laughs> and- of his buses. <laughs> pretty much <laughs> maybe a gearbox or something and uh basically i found myself um airborne um over london and flying over um the white cliffs with these veterans in the british airways jet just had them in a, as a captive audience um and it was just incredible it was such a privilege to speak to them and be with them and to, obviously to see the spit and the hurricane in its natural element was incredible as well and that led on to a friendship with bill green who flew with 501 squadron um we became friends. He became a mentor and uh, I knew him for the rest of his life. Um, and one thing just led on to, from there, really. It's just been a real, real privilege to to sit and chat and really understand what that era was like for them and, and what they learned from it. What was Bill Green like? Oh, Hans. Bill was just incredible. He was, if you'd have asked me as a kid to... Um, to pick my hero, it would have been a Battle of Britain pilot. If you'd have asked me as an adult to pick my perfect mentor, um, it would have been Bill on both fronts. So I was lucky, like you always have this thing about meeting your heroes and can they live up to expectation? But Bill not only lived up, but completely um, surpassed any expectation I could have had. He was um, a really successful entrepreneur. So he ran Crown, um, Crown Paints during the 1980s when they were at their peak. He had a, an incredible um, life, an incredible retirement. He was retired longer than he was working. So just an amazing man, but then also he was a Battle of Britain pilot and he was an incredible storyteller. So we would go down the pub and then he would tell me all these amazing tales of what he went through during World War II. And you could just kind of hear the pub hush as everyone kind of leaned in and listened to the, the, your sort of your <laughs> conversation. And he would talk openly about it all, about the Battle of Britain, about um, his love for the Tempest, about becoming a prisoner of war and how incredible that was. Um, he was an amazing, amazing man, a real privilege to know. Um, and it gave me a really fascinating insight. It really did. I'm interested, um, you know, obviously about the work you do. You're kind of, you're going into schools and you're, you're speaking to, you know, a generation that a lot of people, I think, you know, would view as quite hard to reach, especially these days. You know, um, a lot of people think that young people, they're just on YouTube and TikTok and they don't care about, you know, any of this sort of, you know, stuff that, you know, has happened in the past. You know, I, I say that as, you know, uh, you know, I've got two, um, I've got two boys, my eldest yesterday, right. Who's just turned 12 was lamenting about the golden age of memes. Right. You know, and you know, as if, God. as if it was the Renaissance, you just sort of, you know, you know, as if that's gone now, you know, and you just sort of think, you know, uh, you know, this sort of generation, how, how do they react to, um, to the stories that you're trying to um, get them connected with? You know, is it, is it easy to kind of switch them on to this? Yeah, I have to say um, the knowledge and enthusiasm is actually incredible. So it, it was one when I first started doing, doing them, I was really nervous about like how can we make this connection and how can we bring it to them? But honestly, they're, they're there already. The knowledge is actually staggering. You'll, you'll be probably quite surprised um, 
the sort of level of knowledge, the level of interest. But I suppose like I, I re- I've realized what one of my strengths is and that's storytelling. So I can um, really connect with them on a level, really let my passion um, flow through um, and it engages with them. So um, they are actually amazing. It's really, really heartening. Um, and, you know, we, we can do an assembly with 350 kids and every single one of them is behaves impeccably and is engaged. And it, it, it's, it's really quite amazing. So I understand people's concerns about, you know, keeping the memory alive and how can we communicate. But kid, kids just respond to honesty and openness and passion. If you can go there and, and, and just share your passion with them, they buzz off it. And then what we do is obviously we then flip it. So we say to, to them, tell us some of your stories. Like, let, talk, tell me about your family. Then all these incredible um, war stories come back to us. Um, and then we turn it one more time and we say, you know, what does it look like in your life today? And again, we've had some amazing and open conversations about those core values, duty, unity, courage, resilience, which the spark is always that generation. That's We can always drop an empowering story in to really spark and engage. Um, and then we let the conversation flow. So I, I, I'm really, really heartened um, about how they respond. Um, but there's a lot of work to do. We have to keep going. Do, do, do you think that, you know, the Captain Sir Tom Moore, you know, thing, you know, helped? It seemed to, you know, seem to really kind of, you know, reconnect you know, every you know everyone, whatever the rage, you know, yeah, um, absolutely uh, back in back into those um, tales, didn't it? Yeah, the thing is with um, with, with Tom Moore, you, you have the living embodiment of what we're trying to teach. So you have someone who went through that experience and those hardships and saw um, really, you know, some of the darkest side that humanity has to offer, but also some of the incredible passion. Um, and compassion that humanity offers. He lived through that. He experienced that. But he also made it relevant to today. And that's what we try and do. We try and learn the lessons of the past and make it relevant to today. And, and he just embodied that. This was a man who he's experienced or he experienced the same pandemic, the same fears that everything that we did, yet he was about positive action in the face of adversity. He didn't sit around. He was up. He was active. Um, he was positive and he made a real difference. So I mean, I'm in absolute awe of the man. Uh, was devastated um, uh, last week when we found out about his death. But he literally embodies taking those lessons, taking those values that were so prevalent and so important back um, in the 40s and applying them today and showing what an impact you can make. This is a man who raised $38.9 million, um, was knighted, had a number one hit, and made a huge difference to, um, to the nation, galvanized the nation all in his last year of life. It was incredible, an incredible contribution um, and the absolute embodiment of what we're trying to do at Tally Ho. You know, you, you talked about meeting some of these heroes, you know, Bill Green, you know, uh, you know, et cetera. And, you know, I've obviously, you know, seen on, on the site that you've, you, you've obviously, you know, met a few of them. I mean, do you kind of feel that sort of, like an increasing sense of duty in a way to um, keep keep their stories alive you know because obviously the further we get away from world war ii the bigger the danger of you know of more people forgetting about the amazing things that these people did yeah i I think i think i do absolutely i I mean i was really lucky i think a lot of people after the second world war a lot of people who lived through it they tended to, to close up and put it to one side and you know try and get on with life um but for those who are fortunate enough to have a longer life they almost came full circle and they got to a stage of life where they begin to open up. And they, I think they felt like they had a responsibility to tell their story. And 
So for me, I was really fortunate time-wise to get to know all these pilots and, and people who lived through the Blitz um, and, ver- and sort of varying events at a time when they were ready to speak. So I've been really fortunate um, to, to connect and communicate with these guys um, when they were ready to talk. And very much so, as their voice gets quieter and as time ticks along, I do feel a massive sense of duty to keep, not, to keep their story alive, to keep that generation alive. Like I, I'm so passionate that we should never, ever forget those events, but equally as passionate about, you know, I've got so much faith in the, faith in the future, so let's learn from them. Let, let's, you know, let's, let's draw from our respect from the past and apply it to our faith in the future and make a real difference. So, I mean, I was fortunate enough to fly up to Dublin the back end of uh, 2019 to meet John Hemingway, who's the last Battle of Britain pilot now. There is only one uh, remaining veteran that we know of, and that's, um, that's group captain... Uh, Paddy Hemingway. So we were lucky enough to fly over and meet and chat with him. It's just incredible. But he's the last remaining member now of the few, which is uh, which is so sad. But it's um, it's it's the way it is. It's time, and um, we, yeah, we will carry on. We will we will make a difference going forward. What was um, what was that like um, speaking to uh, John Hemingway? Tell us a bit it, more about that. I, I, it was just amazing. So I flew over there with a, a good friend of mine, Johnny Cracknell, who sort of shares a, a similar passion. He's a published author now as well. And uh, yeah, he, we were welcomed to his room. He had his medals laid out, his logbook laid out for us to go through and, oh. and sort of touch and feel and just, you know, just experience. And then, I mean, at the time he was 100 years old, but he was initially, I think with all the veterans, initially they say, oh, you know, I'm not sure what I can, you know, what you'll get from me and I'm not sure how much I'll remember. And you sort of think that's fine. And then you ask a few questions and just start digging away. And then they're off. They just transport them, transport themselves back there. So he was telling incredible stories. Once he was shot down in a Spitfire in Italy, and um, the German, uh, the Germans were really close to him. There was gunshots, and he could hear the bullets whistling past. So he, he ran off, needed to find uh, shelter and sanctuary, and knocked on a fa- knocked on a house. And luckily, it was pro Britain and pro the Allies. And the way he was smuggled back through enemy lines was a seven-year-old girl basically walked him back through. It was given, the job was given to her to hold his hand, walk through, pretend he was like an uncle figure perhaps, and just be open and just chat and just completely trick the Germans to think if there's any issues. So he had this incredible support um, from this family, but also from this seven-year-old girl who basically the family helped him heal from his wounds and then they walked him, sort of bluffed their way through the enemy lines and he got back to the British lines and he was reminiscing about her and always says, like, oh, I wonder what happened to her and how incredible at that age to have the maturity and the bravery to help me. But yeah, he just he just went back there, just went back to that place of, of speaking of friends and comrades and, and events that obviously we read in history books, but he was there. It was amazing. It was a real, real privilege. Oh, my goodness. What, what, what do you think are kind of some of those sort of unifying traits of all these of uh, of these amazing veterans that you've had the privilege to meet? Well, I, I suppose that I mean we really live and breathe what we do at Tally Ho. So of the people I've talked to, um, it's courage and duty and unity and resilience. They're these values that just keep resurfacing time and time again. Um, so I was sitting having a conversation with a Battle of Britain pilot called Archie McInnes. And at the time, we didn't have duty there. So we were teaching courage, um, resilience and unity. And I told him that and he was really interested. And he just stopped me. He was like, 
it was more than that. It, it was like, we had to do it. We had to do the right thing. We had to make a contribution. We had no choice. And it was really trying to search for the word. And eventually he came out with, it was our duty. And, and, and it's, it, so what we teach, it literally comes from that generation. It was Archie's duty to do the right thing. It was his duty to make a contribution to his friends, to his family and to humanity. Um, so we really, we've just sat and listened and learned. So the values that we teach have literally come directly from that generation. But, but they're human qualities, they're human values. So they apply today just as much as they did then. The story is as um, relevant today just as much as it's ever been. So we, have, we will always keep this, um, that story alive and um, try and repurpose, repackage, do some good, like move forward with it. Like we have, we have all these huge challenges that we're having to rise to um, globally. You, know, you look at the moment, obviously with Corona, but then you look slightly um, bigger than that is the environmental challenge. It's this huge, seemingly impossible global challenge, just as the Second World War was um, to that generation. So how did they overcome it? What did they do? And we try and learn from that and we try and to apply it to today. Excuse me. Gone, Tara, oh, sorry. You, no, I was just going to say, I think going back to um, your story of Archie, when you spoke to him, David, I've um, recently read, uh, you're coming out with a book from, from the Tally Ho Project. And I, I read the story of, of Archie in that. And didn't he fly with one arm? Yes, so Archie... Um, so after the Battle of Britain going into 1941, uh, 238 Squadron were posted to Africa and he was shot down and wounded quite badly in Africa. He was um, set upon by two measurement 109s, um, couldn't evade them. They shot him down and he crashed a shallow dive 200 miles an hour, a horrific, horrific crash, uh, ended up landing in a minefield as well and <laughs> was pulled to safety and the doctors managed to save his life, but he lost his left arm. So Archie he found himself in a position where he, he lost the thing he loved, which was flight, and found himself behind a desk. And it just didn't sit right with him. It, he, it's not where he, he should have been. He'd experienced flight and the joy of flying. And he just couldn't. He was like a bird with his wings clipped. So he just got to work. And he ended up um, proving his fitness and, and being given clearance to fly, um, not in combat anymore, but in, over the skies of England. Um, but with the prosthetic arm that the RAF could supply um, to him. And it was just awful. It just didn't work for him. Felt really uncomfortable, couldn't really fly very well. And at one point during one flight, it actually came off. Um, so uh, he really struggled and he went to the drawing board and essentially designed his own attachment. He designed his own prosthetic, which the RAF accepted. It was such a simple uh, yet effective uh, design, which they hadn't thought of. And he got himself airborne um, and was back. Um, but again, at one point, he was flying a hurricane on his own and uh, even his attachment came off and he was one of the few men to, to, to realise that by jockeying between the control column and the throttle and doing everything with one hand, that he got that hurricane down uh, in one piece, one-handed. <laughs> I mean, that is just the true story of re resilience, isn't it? You just, it's that's, incredible, That's yeah. absolutely mind-blowing to me. Yeah, it's, it's, I can barely is, drive it, a car with two hands, it's, genuinely. It's true. it's true, I've seen you. <laughs> It's a recurring theme in this podcast, actually. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, Archie just had that, the attitude and the mindset that so many did from that generation was, you know, there's a, there's a challenge there. Let's rise to it. What do we have to do? Let's, you know, be pragmatic. Let's go through our training. Let's let, you know, they were an incredible bunch. They had a job to do and they did it. And that obviously applied to the bigger issue of the war. But then that broke down into their own lives. They, 
they stepped out of their own comfort zones. They challenged themselves on a daily basis and they rose to and overcome challenge after challenge. And obviously for Archie, one of them was landing a hurricane with one hand, with one arm. Um, but he went through many others, as did so many other pilots and people who lived through the Blitz and um, air raid wardens and, and just so many incredible contributions made by this amazing generation, all of whom grew personally, but they grew as a collective, as a nation. And there's so much we can learn from that. It's particularly incredible when you think, you know, um, the hurricane, obviously, you know, you know when, when you hear pilots talk about it, it's one of those ones where you're having to really kind of like, you know, real, you know, grip on with, you know, two hands. You know, they often talk, don't they, about the Spitfire. They, they all kind of like get one little finger out, don't they? So if you can yeah. just sort of, you know, like when you're kind of, um, you know, when you're on, with, with your steering wheel, you're sort of trying to sort of, you know, drive. I know you from know, experience how reactive yeah. a Spitfire is. It's honestly quite scary. But, you I'm know, very jealous about that, Tara. <laughs> a hurricane is, a, that's a different, you know, doing that, you know, doing that one-handed is, that's a different kettle of fish, isn't it? That is, that, that, that is quite incredible. You, you were talking about the resilience and I was just sort of, um, as you were talking about it, I was thinking about um, my neighbour, right? She is, um, I think she is now 95, right? So it was a teenager when um, World War II started. And I was talking to her a few months ago, you know, about it all. So obviously we were in that first lockdown and she was kind of like, you know, comparing the, the two. She used to sort of tell these stories about how she'd be around a friend's house and they could hear the, hear the sort of planes going over on the way to Coventry, you know, because they would sort of follow either the German planes, they'd kind of like follow the, the, the rivers sort of like by moonlight and they just hear these sort of ominous sounds and thinking, oh God, off they are to go and bomb Coventry again. And then she was sort of talking about coronavirus and sort of saying, well, you know, we, we kind of, at least we could sort of see and hear the enemy then. You know, we, we, don't, we, we don't know anything about it now. We keep sort of changing, but we can't sort of see it. And I thought it was quite an interesting comparison from someone who, you know, can remember can remember you know being under yeah. you know attack you know you know you know in 1940 and around that that, that kind of time i sort of found it quite a powerful yeah. i do um, think that they're quite like that though aren't they they're very much like you know it, it was what it was what people are going through now is much worse and it's like no 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 like under like you need to understand how amazing it is for all of these people and for you to have gone through it and but they're quite um uh what's the word <laughs> sort of stoic, aren't they? And, and, and yeah. matter of fact about it, I suppose. Don't you think? I think that they, they absolutely are. I mean, firstly, what a privilege to be able to stop and chat with your neighbour. I mean, how amazing is that? It's I so cool. That. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. It is... And I'm, 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 I'm very much the same. I, uh, I'm just a stalker of old people. And when I'm out and about, like if I see someone of a certain age, I'll be like, "Oh, how are you doing? Good morning." But I'll, I'll always try and just pick away and see what their story is, and and you know, where they've come from. I was so lucky a little while ago to have a chat with, it was at the start of um, it was, uh, of the first lockdown. So it's last sort of March, April time. And I just, it was just an innocent good morning in the park. And it was this lady called Ruth who had experienced the blitz. And we had this amazing conversation. Um, and she actually said that she felt that at that moment in time, the sense of community that we were feeling that she was, she felt a part of was actually reminiscent to that blitz spirit. There was a moment there last year where everyone seemed to come together and uh, for her, it felt very real. And it was a real echo um, to the past, which, which I was, what was a real privilege to be a part of that. I think for all of us, um, as also for the blitz spirit is we all experience our ups and downs um, at different times. So with, with the blitz, um, I think history obviously paints them out to be this idyllic time and this incredible time. And obviously the sense of community and the sense of support was very, very real. It was, inc- it was amazing. My, my nan was there and she talks, talks it 
talks about it as the one of the most scary yet exciting times of her life. It was just every day was a new adventure. It was exciting, yet it was really scary. Um, but I think they all went, they all um, experienced their challenges at different times. So I think there's a lot to learn from the fact that you know. I've also heard people say you see things on Facebook where people say you know back in the day they had it so much worse. This was happening, that was happening, and, and you know all we've got to do is stay in. And they sort of make this comparison that you know we should basically pipe down and accept it because actually back in 1940 um, it was a lot more serious and the restrictions on freedom and movement and everything else was a lot more serious. But I feel really uncomfortable about that. I feel like we've got every right to feel like we do at the moment. We've got every right to feel challenged. But by knowing their story it can put perspective on the situation we're going through now, but it can also give us hope that, you know, they signpost. How did they get through it? Were they stuck together? They were this incredible community. And as we've experienced, and I think it's important now going into 2021, but we don't forget that as a nation. Like, we have to come together. We have to support one another. Um, they're just, there are so many echoes there, so, so many um, parallels. Um, but yeah, it's amazing. It's fascinating to have a chat and to be able to talk with a neighbour and get that insight for it. I mean, I, I find it I fascinating. Do- Go on, sorry, Tara. I was just going to say, I do just want to say, um, on the day that this goes out, it is my grandma's 90th birthday yes. and she obviously lived through uh, the war. Um, she she lost a finger during the war. Uh, she used to tell us that was because of bombing. She actually got it caught in a mangle. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Pre-health we, 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 and safety. <laughs> we know, we know she, she, she was fibbing there. But yes, happy birthday, Grandma Audrey. I love her stories as well. It's, oh, it's, awesome. it's, 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 it's amazing, isn't it? So my, my nan used to proudly say that um, you'd ask her about her war experience and she would say that she was a stripper during the war. Um, and then a everyone stripper? would gasp. Yeah, everyone would gasp. Like, oh, my God. And then she would carry on. After she's made everyone feel suitably uncomfortable, she was a, a stripper of reject cigarettes to get, to get oh. the tobacco out of them. So she worked in the factories <laughs> in London during the Blitz. Uh, but she'd always have that little moment. She'd say that and then wait and watch people's reactions and then she could... could complete their story <laughs> they do you, have you, such good sense of humor <laughs> yeah they do oh yeah you 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 you, you say that you know this um yeah uh, my neighbor she was telling me this sort of you know story that she she was going out on this first date with her first boyfriend to the cinema and um as they were kind of like walking you know walking towards the cinema they they, they could hear this kind of like german sort of plane and they like they were actually kind of like being being bombed <laughs> at the time she carried on going to the cinema still went to the cinema because uh, she just got on with it. And then when she got home, got absolutely, you know, her mum tore an absolute strip off her. <laughs> Not because she was out, um, you know, while they were being bombed, but because she sort of like snuck out to go to the cinema without permission. <laughs> so this is the kind of, <laughs> this is the kind of era you're, de- you're sort of dealing with, isn't it? It's, it, is, it is amazing. But I think as well, that era as well, because there was such direct threat. And I think that's the difference about comparing then to now is then it was very obvious, very real. And, you know, they could see it, they could feel it. And Life was precious. They lived for the moment. That's exactly what they did. Every day was an adventure, and they appreciated the fact that things can change in a heartbeat. Um, the reality they knew one day could change, and so they absolutely lived for the moment. Um, and that's why you have these incredible stories coming out and this sense of adventure. Um, and I think that when you speak to them uh, in their older years, they're just, they've experienced everything life has to give. They have a composure and an energy about them because they've seen life they've seen the good they've seen the bad they've you know they've seen tragedy and 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 everything that it has to offer um and they just have a real sense of it's it's a serene energy it's a passion sorry it's a privilege to be around it and experience it 
but it comes with experience and it comes with knowledge and it becomes it comes with having lived through those incredible incredible years yeah, you're absolutely right, Tara. Actually, just, you know, as we were sort of talking about that, maybe we should try and get my neighbour and your nan on the podcast oh, together. Yes. That would be incredible. Oh, oh, okay. that, how cool would that be? <laughs> my, grandma, uh, my grandma's husband flew with the fleet air arm, um, sea fires and spitfires. So she's got so many stories. Can you imagine them just nattering away, nattering away with a Battenberg? Yeah. They, can, they, can, they can do it. They can do it. We can have a week off. Oh, yes, let's do it. <laughs> Make it happen, get it done. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, look, I mean, look, David, absolutely fantastic to talk to you. So, uh, so cool to hear about, you know, the the work you're doing and, you know, getting all this, you know, stuff to um, to the up and coming generation. Um, absolutely fantastic work and a real... Um, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I love it. And uh, we really feel everyone's support. There's a lot of people are passionate about that generation. So, um, yeah, we're there. We're, we're doing it. We're showing up and... It's going to be Tally Ho Project. He's going to get very big and make a huge impact. So that's what we're working towards. Oh, great. Well, look, uh, thank you very much, David. Thanks, Tara. Thank you very uh, much, Thank you to uh, everyone for listening. Um, See you again next week. This has been a podcast from Key Aero, your aviation destination. Remember, visit www.key.aero for more of the same. Thanks for stopping by. And we hope to catch up with you again soon.